It's amazing to be with you all this morning. Um, just a, a quick overview. For the last two years, I've been working for Alpha UK. So I've been heading up the south of England, looking after churches that have been running Alpha courses from Peterborough, definitely not the south of England, all the way down to Land's End, including all of the Channel Islands. Um, so that's what I've been doing for the last couple of years. And um, within that time period, I go to churches and um, I have an Alpha story. I came to know Jesus on Alpha. Um, so I go to churches and um, share my story and speak into to evangelism in their context um, and predominantly a lot of the time what I do is um, go and speak on a Sunday so I always do a talk and I always could do the run through with my wife Izzy just to make sure that it sounds okay and one of the times we were doing the run through I was like gosh I'm really struggling to see what the, the talk is saying but kind of got through it and then Izzy just kept giggling at me the whole way through I was like I'm not trying to be funny um, but I got to the end of the talk and I was like, why have you been laughing at me the whole time? And she was like, you're wearing my glasses. Um, so this morning, first of all, the first thing I did was make sure that I'm wearing my glasses today. Um, but moving on, our talk this morning um, and the passage we'll be looking at is John 12, 1 to 8, and it should come up on the screen. So six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, who Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas of Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. This is the word of the Lord. So I don't know about you, but when I start with this passage and I think about the context of this passage, it makes me think of a family around a dinner table. So I thought just to start, it might be helpful to give you a context of what dinner around a dinner table looked like for me growing up. Um, just firstly, is anyone an only child in here this morning? Just with a show of hands. It's like four only children. I'm with you. Um, but... So growing up for me, dinner wasn't anything drastic. It was quite quiet. There was nothing overly out of the ordinary. It was me, my mum, my stepdad. And the only time it was a bit chaotic was when mum or stepdad burnt the dinner. Um, but occasionally I would have the, the joyous occasion to go to my auntie's for dinner. Um, my auntie has four children. There's Catherine, who's the eldest, Anthony, two years younger, Mary, a year younger to him and my age, and then Anne-Marie, she was the youngest, so no one really cared how old she was. Um, but we were all super close. We, we loved hanging out, and that dinner time was a special time. But as you can imagine, dinner at the Wiltshire's was slightly different to dinner at my house. Without doubt, every time, one of the four of them would have done something to annoy the other. Ate the last packet of crisps, played the music too loudly, stole a piece of clothing, breathed too loudly. Um, and the dinner table was where they were going to voice their dispute. So as you were called to the dinner table, the anticipation of what was about to happen was exciting. I mean, I was a spectator, so I just used to sit and see what was going on. But throughout the dinner table, there'd be 
a few arguments. There'd be about three conversations happening at once. The food would be great. And I'd just be trying to sit back and just not get drawn into anything. Um, and by the end of the dinner, I don't know if anyone else can relate to this as an only child, but they're all best friends again. They all love each other and all of the disputes are forgotten about. But it was a joyous occasion. And in this very loose link, I can imagine that Jesus might be able to sympathise with me as he attends this dinner party. This dinner party was a dinner put on in honour for Jesus. This was supposed to be a joyous occasion. His friend Lazarus, who he had just raised from the dead, was there, and so were his other followers. However, the tensions begin to rise as Martha is running around trying to get this dinner perfect for Jesus. Mary then decides to pour perfume over Jesus' feet. Judas pipes up, which meant because there was no money left for him to steal. So Jesus has to step into the chaos. But within the midst of this chaos, the midst of this dinner party gone wrong, something significant happens. We see love in action. It was an action that not even Mary would have known was going to happen as she poured out the perfume. But just before we dive into the passage, I think it's really helpful to get an understanding of the journey that we've been going through through John's Gospel. And just before this passage, as Tom shared last week, Jesus reveals himself as the resurrection. But we've seen Jesus turn water to wine, reveal himself as one one of the I am statements to a Samaritan woman, offering her a spring of water that leads to eternal life. Another I am statement when Jesus calls himself the bread of life. And throughout John's gospel, he takes us on this wild wonder of who Jesus is. So as we look at our main passage today, there are two key parts that we're going to draw from. The first being that intimacy leads to fruitfulness. And the second, that fruitfulness leads to overflow. So first of all, intimacy leads to fruitfulness. So let's look at verse three of our passage. It reads, Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped it with her hair. We know from this account in Martha and Mary in Luke 10 that Martha's frustrated at her sister as she's complaining as she's running around trying to make this meal a perfect occasion for Jesus, doing things for him. Whereas Mary is instead sat present at his feet. It was there that her heart runs over in love for Jesus. She spontaneously pours this perfume over Jesus' feet and wipes it with her hair. There's no warning to this moment. There's no lead up. She isn't trying to cause conflict. She isn't trying to cause offence or make a name for herself. What I believe happens is that her heart overflows with love as she pursues Jesus. She could not hold it back. It just came as an overflow from her heart a sign of love, a desire to worship him all in, a longing for intimacy with Jesus. An American pastor called Tyler Staten, who leads Bridgetown Church in Portland, write this in his book, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend reading it. He says that intimacy leads to fruitfulness, not the other way around. Those who prioritise a loving relationship with God, meeting with him through stolen moments in prayer throughout the day, long stretches of disciplined contemplation and fiery pleas of intercession are those with whom he shares his divine power. Have you ever found yourself in a time where you feel distant from Jesus? Where you can't hear his voice or you find yourself just trying to do more things for him? If I read one more book about him, listen to one more podcast, 
attend one more worship night, I would definitely feel closer to him. He will know 100% that I, know, that I love him if I just keep doing things for him. That I'm, I'm a doer, I'm, I'm definitely fit into that category. I like to do things and get things done. And at times I've fallen into that category where I think if I just do one more thing for him, he'll definitely love me more. But actually what we see in this story is that intimacy comes first. And it's as simple as sitting at Jesus' feet, not the other way around. See, Mary understood this. She longs and pursues intimacy with Jesus. She prioritises her loving relationship with him. And that's why we find her sat at Jesus' feet at this dinner party. This gesture was an all or nothing gesture, a spontaneous moment to show she didn't just want to worship Jesus halfway. She didn't just want to spend her life doing things for him. She wanted to worship Jesus with all that she had and all that she owned. And this isn't the first time we read about Mary pursuing intimacy with Jesus through prayer or stolen moments. Last week, Tom shared when, um, this passage from John 11, 32 to 35. When Mary reached a place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid them? He asked. Come and see, Lord. They replied, Jesus wept. As her brother lay dead in the tomb, she didn't lay mourning in despair where she was. When she heard that Jesus was coming, she left quickly, took her pain, her frustration, her despair to him saying, Lord, if you had been here, she didn't hide her grief or what she was going through. What then happens? Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Mary understood that intimacy leads to fruitfulness, not the other way around. In verse five to six, we see love in all of its extravagance. It reads, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. She comes to Jesus with the most precious and expensive thing that she possessed. The thing that means the most to her and spends it all on Jesus. She says, Lord, you mean the most to me. She understood then, which I think John wants us to understand now, that Jesus is worthy of all that we have and all that we are. However, this fruitful act of worship and love and offering comes at a cost. This perfume was worth a year's wages. I don't think that's something that we should miss this morning. I don't know about you, but if somebody told me to go and spend a year's wages on somebody's feet, I don't think my response would be like, here you go. I have a mortgage to pay, to pay. I have food to buy. I have a life to live. But what does it look like for you this term? What does it look like practically this week or this month for you to make a costly sacrifice of your time or what you have for intimacy with Jesus. So Izzy and I have a friend um, who, doesn't, who didn't know Jesus. Her fiance came to faith probably just over a year ago um, and he was starting to follow the way of Jesus. So Izzy and I were spending lots of time in prayer, praying that our friend would come to know Jesus. And we even had a post-it note on our mirror as you walk into our house and walk out of our house that had her name on it, just so we didn't forget to pray. Um, I thought it was quite cute. Um, but in the lead up to focus, Izzy and I were spending lots of time with Jesus separately. 
And we both felt like we should buy this friend a ticket to come to Focus. And by no means are we flush with money or in no means are we trying to say, look at us, look at, look at us doing all this for our friends. But we, from our intimacy with Jesus, we had this, this nudge to, to buy our friends a ticket to Focus. This was us saying that, Lord, you mean the most to me and we want all of our friends and family to come to know you. Like I said, it comes from a place of intimacy. It was a sacrifice of what we had. And then one morning in the big top at Focus, um, there was an opportunity to respond to Jesus. And she stood up and she gave her life to Jesus. There were lots of tears. I was a mess. Um, There was lots of hugging and it was amazing. But like I said, it comes at a cost. And Tyler Staten calls this the long pleas of fiery intercession in intimacy with Jesus. And I believe this is what the upside down kingdom of God looks like. Our world tells us to keep, 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 and it's all about me, me, me. Whereas Mary's actions here show us what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to go against what the world is telling you to do. That following Jesus is about worship and of giving of who you are and what you have and him, him, him. What does it look like for you in your life? in our city, in your workplace, on your, in campus, in your family, in your friendship groups, to be all in worshipping Jesus with all that you have, not holding anything back from him. I want to suggest that it starts from a place of intimacy, coming to the feet of Jesus with what you have, with your life, loving him, making time for prayer and relationship with him throughout our days. This extravagant act of love from Mary was not nicely calculated. She gives her all, and I believe her only regret is that she had no more to give. But to love Jesus like this means we cannot hold anything back from him. We cannot let anything hold us back from him. The first time I read this passage after becoming a Christian, um, the Mary pouring perfume on Jesus' feet wasn't the wildest part of that story for me. I remember reading it going, she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. She did what? If this is what Christians do, count me out. This certainly isn't an alpha topic around that. But actually, this level of intimacy that Mary is showing us here is something that we all need to learn from. Culturally, even just having her down would have been, having her hair down would have been a no. For context, Bethany, where this dinner party takes place, is in a town in Palestine. And at the time, no woman would ever appear in public with her hair unbound. On the day a girl was married, her hair was bound up, and never again would she be seen in public with her hair down. So culturally, this would have meant that she would have had to take her hair down, which could and may have led to those reclining at the table to go, has she no shame? But this never even crosses Mary's mind. She has no fear nor shame as her heart is just overflowing with love for Jesus. Sometimes shame can get in the way of our level of intimacy with Jesus. We can let the lies of others, lies from the enemy, lies from the world, and what others think, what the thought of what others think of us restrict and hold us back from being all in with Jesus. Whether that be in worship, whether that be in prayer, or um, sharing our faith with others, shame can hold us back. Where is shame holding you back? 
Where would you like to be free from shame so you can be more like Mary, not holding anything back from him as you pursue intimacy and a loving all-in relationship with him? Knowing that he accepts and loves you for who you are and where you are as you lay your possessions, your ambitions and all that you have at his feet. However, it's not always that easy. I've definitely been there. I've been coming to church for a while. I'd even started hanging out with Christians and, and was doing the things that Chrisos do. Um, context, Chrisos means Christians. Um, but it was a, I, was, I knew that I wasn't all in with Jesus. I knew that I wasn't giving him all of my life. I was stood at the back over there at an evening service and um, I just had this sense in, in me that I had to, to worship Jesus all in. Like I had to mean what I was saying. My posture in worship, I had to, I had to sh- like give him the praise that he deserved. But all that I could think about was the, sh- the stuff I was hiding from him. Like the, the shame that I was feeling. I'd started to feel like I had this calling to church leadership of my life. But all I could think about was, how could this be? I've done all sorts. I've drank, I've done drugs, I've hurt people. How could God use me? But in that moment, I let him into those parts of my heart those areas of shame that I was holding on to. And my life has never been the same since. Mary's actions of not holding anything back provokes outrage in Judas. And I can only assume the rest of the guests at the table would have been thinking, flipping heck, she loves him. But sometimes we can slip back into that place. Sometimes we can go, oh, it's quite easy not to, to worship him all in, to, to let things hold us back. But I want to encourage you and myself that Mary's love for Jesus, there was no holding it back because intimacy leads to fruitfulness. So that leads us on to our second and final point. You still with me? A few of you are. Um, Fruitfulness leads to overflow. Fruitfulness leads to overflow. We read Jesus saying, leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should, not, she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Just to clarify, Jesus loves and cares for the poor. In Luke 4, 18, he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Later on in Luke, he says, looking at his disciples, he said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Jesus loves the poor. So when he says this almost out of character statement that you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me, he is preparing us for what is about to come. Jesus is wanting us to listen up and notice something bigger than is what, happening, than what is happening in the moment. In verse seven, it says, it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. There is no way that Mary would have known what was going to happen. This was the Messiah, the one they'd been waiting and praying for, the one who had come to bring them freedom and to fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament. He was the one they had witnessed turning water to wine, breaking down cultural divides and speaking into the loneliness of a Samaritan woman's life, feeds the 5,000, walks on water, calls himself the bread of life and the resurrection. So why would Mary be thinking that the perfume she poured would be used in preparation for Jesus' burial? we know what happens next. However, I want us to notice how fruitfulness leads to overflow. Tyler Staten goes on to say, fruitfulness comes because we love 
Jesus. We want to be with him. And when that's our heart, our, the expression of the relationship begins to look like justice in the world, compassion for others and peace in our inner being. As I said at the beginning, as the tensions rise at this dinner party, at this dinner party going wrong, something significant happens. Not only was this preparation for Jesus' burial, Mary was prophetically anointing Jesus as king. The overflow of Mary's fruitfulness from her love in action, pursuit of intimacy with Jesus, is that she prophetically anoints Jesus as king, preparing him for the next chapter as Jesus rides into Jerusalem as king. Because Mary sat at Jesus' feet. Because she came in desperate prayer. Because she was willing to give all she had, her most prized possession, not letting herself be held back through shame. She is used to prophetically prepare Jesus, the Messiah for burial, and to anoint him as the King of Kings. As we read the significance of this in Matthew 26, 13, Jesus says, truly I tell you, whoever believes in the, whoever, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Throughout this journey of wild wonder through John, the miracles start with Jesus performing, um, Jesus starts performing of turning water to wine and then gets more and more extreme. And at the end, raising Lazarus from the dead. And then in the next chapter, rides into Jerusalem as king in front of hundreds of people. But that isn't where he was anointed as king. He was anointed as king at an intimate dinner party with his closest friends, where there's arguing and Mary pouring perfume on his feet. That's what Jesus' kingship looks like. Intimate and longing for relationship. Before we come into land, I'd love to zoom out. As I said at the beginning, we're seeing love in action through Mary's um, pursuit of intimacy with Jesus. We've seen how intimacy leads to fruitfulness and then fruitfulness leads to overflow. As we finish this wild wonder of John and think about these two points, there is no better example of God's longing for intimacy with us and the kingdom overflow that he so deeply desires than in John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God's love and longing for intimacy with us leads to the greatest action of love and sacrifice in history, an all-in expression of love to give us eternal life. I want us to notice this last sentence from our passage where John says, the house was filled with the fragrance of Mary's perfume. Danielle Strickland, an amazing preacher and communicator when speaking at leadership conference this year said this, the only possession that Jesus was left with as he was taken to the cross was the fragrance of Mary's love. The only possession that Jesus was left with was the fragrance of Mary's love. So, as we look to respond, I want to ask you this. What does it look like to let your love for Jesus overrun into action this morning? To love him extravagantly, just as, Jesus, just as Mary did with all she had and owned.
that doesn't have to look like jumping up and down in worship. But it might. It may be as simple as whispering, I love you, Jesus. Or it may be kneeling before him, laying it all at his feet. What will the overflow of your intimacy with Jesus look like as we respond? Amen.